Okay, here we go. I'm so excited. This is episode 396. So close to 400, right? So close. But I am so excited. Here's why. Because Heather is always lifting other people, but she's doing it like this. Okay, everybody, right? Totally disappeared. She's not, you can't see her. She'll like be super like, right? And a lot of designers are like that. But then she said yes, and she's been doing a lot of things on Clubhouse. She's been doing things. And I was like, so you're okay? Then me being on the podcast then? Because you've said yes. I've said this to Paul too, so people aren't going to get out of it. Ashwin's here. We got Ireland represented. And Hannah from D.C. I'm sorry if I missed anybody else. I'm glad everybody's here. But Heather is one of those people that she never sleeps. She's super curious. She's (laughs) up in the middle of the night promoting other people. Just like, oh, my gosh, have you seen this? And I remember when she um, shared something of mine and I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. And you were like, you're really doing some great stuff. Thanks. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. But that's her. And I'm like, okay. But she always is always promoting other people and like literally behind, right? Totally in in the other, in another place. So I love that she, and it's really hard as an introvert, right? A lot of designers are behind. We're I'm happy to promote somebody else too. So today I get to promote you, which I'm really excited about. But one of the things is I said, so Heather, what is it like finally coming out and telling more of your story and what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And she said, it was like jumping out of her, or how does it make you feel? And she said, it feels like I want to be jumping out of my skin. So that's what I titled this one. (laughs) And so I'm so excited to have Heather Crank. If you don't know Heather, you're going to get to know her, but she is absolutely a bottom cheerleader, a lifter, which I think that's a compliment, a bottom cheerleader. She's lifting (laughs) other people, throwing them up, making them do all kinds of crazy, awesome things. But that that's who Heather is. And I guess Heather, me and you both lived in Denver at the same time, but I didn't know you. Bummer. But then I got to meet her when I went to Bend um, Design Conference, which just happened a few weeks or very recently. Um, so, Heather, I want you to give them um, a little bit of your background in design and motion and and then um, and then we'll get into some other parts of questions. Go. Oh, okay. Hello, everybody. My name's Heather. Um, I went to school at the California College of Arts in San Francisco, and I have my degree there in graphic design. Um, and it was sort of my last year I fell in love with motion graphics. Um, and then I worked for some companies in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area is super expensive. Um And my husband was working at an art foundry and we realized the foundry was going to go under. So um, we had to make a choice to leave because, you know, just starting out in your career, you're kind of like, it's a little scrappy. Um, (laughs) As you know, Diane. So we flipped a coin and we were deciding between Santa Fe and Denver. It landed on Denver and we just left. We just went to Denver. And so um, I worked in Denver mainly as a motion graphics artist. Um, 
And the last job I had, I worked for a company called Craftsy as their senior motion graphics artist in about, oh man, five and a half years ago, I left Denver and I came back to Bend, Oregon, where I've lived a lot of places, but I'm just going to say, to make it easy, this is where I'm from. (laughs) Even though that's a whole story in itself. Um, And when I landed here, I kind of um, was thinking about my career path and kind of thinking I didn't want to work for corporate America anymore. Um, And so I started a company, my own company called Cremonti, and uh, started working with the Bend Design Conference, building their exhibits, um, working on their programming committee, getting their films and entertainment. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Okay, so but in um, like what year was it in, that you were doing motion? Because you were uh, there. Motion is, I would think, similar to industrial design. And I was talking about talking to mm-hmm. Maura about this because she mm-hmm. has a MFA in industrial design. It's mm-hmm. a, a very heavy men uh, oh. field, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Motion is very similar, and it's hard to kind of always hit that kind of wall. But you were early in early motion yeah i think let's see so i graduated from cca i think it was about 2001 or two i can't remember and motion design was just sort of um getting its legs in fact i think chris stowe and i started about the same time but he he did a lot better (laughs) um it's been different different it was it was different very different um (laughs) so uh yeah so I was kind of a pioneer and it was a brand new field and I was really drawn to it because it has you know the storytelling it's time-based and before I went to design school I was working a lot in fine arts and dance so it was a really natural transition for me um but yeah it was really rough in fact the I applied I'm gonna out some people here but I'll be nice. I applied for an internship um, at a company in San Francisco right after I graduated. Um, And I had an inside connection. One of my professors knew the creative director was recommending me. I just won the Adobe Awards. I was coming in with a great portfolio and they offered me a position of secretary. Yeah. And it was, I was interviewed by four men. They were really aggressive and super intense. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if they were on cocaine, given the level of intensity. Uh, And that was sort of like the introduction to motion and what I, but I just had no idea. Like I, I just always thought I could do what I wanted. And I was raised with this, like, you can do anything and, um, I was not prepared for what I was going to run into in the tech world, but uh, I have to say I learned a lot. And um, actually, let me back up. There's this wonderful woman named Lillian Darmono. I'm going to drop No, I got it. I got this in the chat. Like you sent it to me. I'm ready. Oh, good. Okay. Oh man. You're on it, Diane. Call me Vanna. Keep going. Wow. So she, so about five years ago when I moved here, um, 
nobody was really talking about women in tech and what was happening to us. And, you know, I would walk into um, a motion graphics setting as the only female, almost always. And then it would just be this really difficult sort of, I call it the bro culture. Um, and not, not the that, bra culture, not the bra culture, the bro culture, totally different. And not that all men were like this, but for some reason in the tech world, I just kept coming up against us. So um, there's this wonderful woman named Lillian Darmono, and I heard a podcast of hers on the School of Motion, and I was so blown away. Um, she was actually speaking to it, and I was at this point just terrified, and um, I had some good friends who were working in UX UI and having a similar problem. And um, we started kind of meeting and supporting each other and creating women's groups for women in tech. So Lillian just blew the lid off what was happening. She wrote two really great articles. One is a survival guide for women in motion. And then she started a series of interviews about uh, minorities in the tech field, whether it was, um, different race, uh, different sexual orientation, gender, and she did fantastic work. And then unfortunately she was really targeted and she kind of went underground for a while. But this is all coinciding with the Me Too movement and all that stuff that was happening. And I really owe Lillian a huge debt of gratitude. If, she, if I hadn't um, heard that interview, I don't think I would have the courage to start speaking out and coming forward. So when so did I, you hear that interview? Five years ago. Oh, wow. Five years ago. So I just started behind. So this is part of the hiding thing. Like, I think a lot of introverts do this anyway, but it was compounded with this world where I was, I loved what I did. I didn't want to stop doing it, but there was, it was such a fight. It was such a fight. And there was a lot of abuse. And, you know, so, so you're, I kind of want to paint that picture just so that people aren't assuming because, you oh, know, yeah. go when ahead, you go assume, ahead. Please do. Yeah, right. well, I don't know good. exactly. It's not good to assume. Right, right. Not good to assume. Um, those are, yeah. Okay. So you are a young woman in tech mm-hmm. who are in an, is it that the guys just it's in the bro culture mm-hmm. and they're not being very inclusive? They're not no. maybe uh, again, I'm going to try not to assume. So some people, I'm sure they're not even noticing that they're not being no. inclusive. Right. They're just no. kind of no. like out of it. No. And they're like, oh, man, what about this? Yeah. What about this? No. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. There, there was no awareness of it. I mean, there were a couple people who were not happy to have women in that environment because it meant they had to change their behavior. And so that was part of it. Like if I'm sitting next to some guy talking about some women's parts, we'll just put it that way in graphic detail, you know, like that's just not appropriate. I'm uncomfortable. So there was some behavior shifts. And then um, there's just like this clicky in, out, I don't want to change what I'm doing. I don't want to give up 
what I have and what I've established kind of thing. And not all of them were like that, but it was so prevalent, unfortunately, the alpha bro thing in tech. And I don't know why, but it was really difficult. So for everybody that if that you may be unaware or you may be aware, but there's somebody there's, let's just say you notice other people might be doing this, whether you're a man or a woman or any, yeah. it could be a whole bunch of women together and they're kind of out in the guy, like it doesn't right. We, but what, how can somebody, my husband and I were talking about this yesterday. He's like, do you know what the difference between nice and kind is? And I was like, I don't know, but I guess you're going to tell me. He's like, kind is when somebody nice is like, you just, you'll open the door and that might be kind too, but nice, uh, kind is you will stand up for someone. That's right. right. And that's, and I don't know if he, if he made this up or this is on a Wikipedia or something, right. I don't know, but, but I, I get it. And what he was, he was talking to me about this kid that he used to stand up for him. My husband's not big. Like, I mean, he's taller than me, but um, which isn't saying that much, you know, um, five, one people are really short, but he was like, I, I would stand up to kids who were bigger than me for this kid because he didn't have two socks that matched. Those were the only two socks he had mm-hmm. and they would be making fun of him. Granted, it's different when you're in a workplace, but maybe, yeah. you know, but are you going to be that person who's like, hey, you know what? That's not OK. We mm-hmm. need to make sure that and it's it's who's being the leader. And there mm-hmm. may be this sort of power struggle. But what would have yeah. been helpful or what could people do to help? And what do you do now on the other side? If you're having people, mm-hmm. how do you make people feel comfortable and how how would you want that? So um, eventually. uh there was one egregious person who ended up um, losing their job and they hired a new person that came in who was fantastic. And actually they brought the new person in first to sort of observe what was going on. And then he reported and then the, the we'll just call them bad apple was fired, but he was such a huge advocate and he turned the, my, he turned my life around. Um, So I think if you're in a position of power, being willing to be honest and speak up when you see something happening that's not right, that puts someone at a disadvantage. Um, I think that when people are abusive or not handling themselves in a way that is kind, if it's in the shadows, it really festers. And if you can speak to it, if you can bring it out, if you can just make a more direct contact, that behavior will stop. And usually there's something else underneath that behavior. Um, nobody's inherently bad. There's a there's something going on that's driving it. And I think that's where, when you have really good managers and bosses who know how to speak to people, um, both people, the person maybe who's having a hard time, plus the person who's having behavior that's not kind, if you can get that dialogue open and going, you'll see big change really quickly, really, really quickly. So leadership is really important. Yes. But you were at a point where what if there wasn't, what, what could somebody <laughs> have done if you still had that other person and what could have another coworker who was at the same level as you, what could they have done to help you not feel so? Yeah. Well, that was a really, I ended up having to go. So I had, 
everybody was afraid of losing their job. Yeah. So we would meet in private and kind of talk about um, strategies or what might be helpful to people. And eventually I had to go to HR. I had to go talk to them and they actually met with me and they kept everything very private and in disclosed place so that um, I wouldn't bear repercussions of that. And then the HR person, of course, has then, you know, obliged to have to go report it. But I would have so appreciated for it to not have to get to that point because then I'm looked at as the problem. And it wasn't until the new creative director came in that, because I was right on the edge of losing my job because they thought I was the issue. And this new creative director was the one who basically analyzed the situation and expressed the truth. So I think if speaking to the truth of the situation, being willing to speak up, if you have one-on-one meetings with managers, like after this occurrence, and we had weekly meetings, which were great, where we would just check in with our manager. Um, having, if you're in charge of a team, having regular meetings where you can just deal with things before they turn into something ugly. Um, if you're a coworker, you can always talk to your higher ups in confidence and say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this dynamic that's happening and I don't know if you're aware of it, but you might want to meet with them. You don't even have to say what it is. You can just tip them off that you're noticing something. Um, and then there's no risk to you. Yeah. So Paul had a great comment in the chat um, and I'll read it in just a second. But Jason uh, says, my experience with HR is that they're there to protect. It seems like they're there to protect leadership. Yeah. uh, A lot of times. Yeah. And despite the fact that they're supposed to be unbiased and impartial, but that's where (laughs) leadership is really, really clear. Huge. Um, And knowing what the leadership is when you go into a place. And if you're on that bottom ground, making sure that there are some checks and balances or, or, you know, asking before they hire, if you're on one of those committees and you're say, how, how do you take, how do you as a leader take feedback? How are you, how are you um, wanting to com- us to communicate with you? What's important, you know, cause those things can be really important. And I, so one of the things that uh, Paul had said, and I, I absolutely agree with this. I've, I've witnessed some of this being, um, I think everybody can be singled out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter Oh, um, so, uh, often we think about everybody, but maybe the white man, but they also can be singled out. And I've been in a car where someone is saying bad things about that as well. And so again, it, you, you on a business meeting, you know, journey to the lunch or something, it's, it's automatically puts people like, oh my goodness. I, again, it's that hiding. I can't. I can't. Right. 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 And I have to be less than who I am supposed to be. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And um, it it can be really difficult, but I have another friend who has a a white guy and a whole bunch of women. And, you know, we have to be willing, I think, to say, hey, we're not perfect. I want I want to work on it. But it is that it's that power of there's nothing wrong with me. Everything I'm doing is fine which is absolutely not oh, true. We not all true. have things to work on. Um, but I think that when people are in that 
place. They're very defensive. And that's when some things need to happen. But that's coworkers saying, hey, you know, but we could improve. This person has ideas. They're coming at it from another way. Maybe we can learn something. Maybe it'll get better if we add their insights in or, you know, we don't have to just, you know, cut them out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, there's two things. One, I think it's important that when you go to work for somebody that you interview them as much as they're interviewing you, Yes. make sure it's a good fit and to really take your time. If I were to tell my younger self something, that would be it. Yeah. Cause we don't even sure. think about that. I never, I was just like, Oh my God, I need a job. I'm so glad to have a job, but it, it, I didn't think about, you know, I had the right and the power to make the choice myself. Like I always thought there were other people who had power over me. And so that was kind of a big shift, you know, that um, we each have a lot of power in our choices. So that was a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jay asked a question. What are your, uh, said, Diane, what are your thoughts on, this is the, the longest word I've ever seen in the chat, to be honest. Uh, I, I will have to look this up. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Whoa, I don't know that word. What's that I don't word? either, but man, that is, sounds like we need to be friends because clearly I need to learn some words. I, I'm going to copy it if you want to put, put it in or I, as I ask Heather a question, um, <laughs> I will look it up. I'm sorry. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, okay, so. Yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, Heather, mm-hmm. I want you to tell me cause your business. So you, you move, um, yeah. at that point where you get new leadership in mm-hmm. and, and then five years ago, you leave, you yeah. move back to bend or whatever, right. Yeah. Back, yeah. To, back to, and then, and you start working for yourself. Mm-hmm. What, um, what, what are you doing? And I mean, obviously if you're doing stuff for Ben and you're doing environmental and motion graphics and um, how, what kind of projects are you taking on? And mm-hmm. was there at all burnout and you were <laughs> having to still work? Um, can you paint that picture? Yeah. So before, before I moved um, the company I was working for, it was looking like it was going to IPO which means it was going to be bought by another company. And I started seeing some changes. So I resigned. So I was working. So my, I was salaried, which meant I worked six to seven days a week. I was working 10 to 12 hours a day. And um, because I was in a senior level position, it was a lot of intensity and pressure and presentations and blah, 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 you know, the whole thing. And so when I saw this happening, I decided I had better, get ready because often when people IPO, they bring in their own team and they let everybody go. Mm -hmm. And so I started on top of that would come home at eight or nine eat. And then I would freelance until two or three in the morning and I would get up and do it again. So I did that for about three months before I uh, quit. And then I was building up this freelance business on the side, which is Cremonti, and then moved to Bend. And I knew my industry was not here. So I knew I was going to need to really ramp up the business. And so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of burnout. (laughs) Um, And uh, constant work for years and years. 
before that kind of went. And it was a, it was a big risk and a sacrifice. We, my husband and I, um, financially, it was really rocky for about three years, really rocky, but we were really focused and we're like, this is going to work. So, um, but when, you know, when I think about like five, 10 year goal, I realized that I just don't want to work in corporate America anymore. Um, and I want to be in a position where I can do things I feel like are helping other people, more humanitarian, working and championing artists like you were mentioning earlier. Um, and having more, you know, I'm thinking more about as we're seeing all the things happening in the earth, lasting change, like how can I use what I have to benefit the next generation to benefit the earth, to benefit artists and designers? And how can I help people move into positions of power who really should be there or really creative and full of positive energy and will help us all? Because this has been a really hard time. And if we don't have people who maybe are invisible up in positions of power, then, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> Right. So it was, it was a, it was a big shift. And yeah, I went through two big phases of burnout and I had to walk away for like a month and go hang out in nature and let my brain sort of relax. Okay. So I know you have something to teach us. Do you want to, or to show oh. us, do you want to show us? And then I can jump in and maybe I'll ask you some more questions. So, um, working with if you have your druthers you, you have your you would work with people who are making a difference who should be in leadership lifting those people into those how do you choose like a client in that i mean or or is it just what you're putting out you automatically are attracting that i i think i just put my voice out there you know like i put my the way that I um, present myself on social, I'm really clear about who I am and what I support. And I do not hold back at all. Um, I think it was Christo who said something like, if you don't have people who hate you, <laughs> you you're, not, you're not being authentic enough. And um, I kind of in that way naturally, like I can't, I have to be, myself I've never been able to I don't know this could be an, your stereotypical artist introvert thing but I just don't know how to fake it like I just I can't so I just don't hold back on social like if you are not into what I'm into you probably are not going to interact with me I've, I've made it really clear okay <laughs> hey. So yeah. then, and then, so then what you're putting, because you're putting out stuff, you're attracting that. Yeah. yeah. And then I, people interact with me all the time. I get a lot of uh, messages because I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and still on Facebook um, and Clubhouse. And so I noticed that uh, people will write to me and we'll have conversations and I develop relationships with people Um kind of based on the way I present myself or the information I put out. And, and even, you know, some people are, let's say, challenging me a little bit. That's, we have, I, we can have a discussion and I have had many Twitter dialogues 
myself. And that's great. It's great. I need to be held accountable too. So, you know, I welcome that you to inspire people don't show them your superpowers, show them theirs. And that is absolutely what, what Heather does. Absolutely. So this is my company, Cremonti, and our motto is be your own hero. And uh, we like to call ourselves rebellious moonbeams. And um, what that means is that we like to reflect the light of other people. And my big question I like to ask people is what happens when you have to be the hero of your own story? For so long, I always thought, you know, the power was kind of outside of me and I was kind of beholden to the systems that already existed. But as I've gone forward with my own choices and taken a lot of risks, I really, I kind of knew it intellectually, but I understand emotionally now that it's really my choice, which, (laughs) which it was the whole time, but you know. Um, So let's talk about Feelings. (laughs) Feelings. <laughs> so these these are a couple of images of when I kind of came out and started uh, stepping on to literally the stage more. That's a picture on the left with me with Debbie Millman and my friend Darlene, and then on the stage of Ben Design. Um, I <laughs> I was so terrified. I spoke to four hundred and fifty people. And I almost, when I walked out to talk on the podium, it took everything I had just to not run, (laughs) but but I did it. Um, One thing I found that super important is telling the truth, which we were talking about earlier, holding your integrity and playing the long game. Um, And there are a lot of barriers to stepping forward and speaking up. So um, I'm hoping we can kind of get into that just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. One of those things is overcoming fear. And fear is a great teacher. Um, I think fear has been (laughs) my constant companion and one of my best teachers. And in the little type, it says, do it anyway. And I have kind of two voices always going on in my head. And so this little voice over here, the do it the anyway, that's the one I try and pay attention to, even though the fear is always, you know, it's a a loud voice. It's always shouting. One, feelings. So I have a process I go through um, when I'm dealing with my own feelings and I'm having a lot of anxiety or fear about something like right now, for example. Um, And the first thing I usually tell myself is it's a sensation. The fear is literally just a sensation. It's not real. There's not some giant dinosaur coming to eat me. Um, I'm just having a response based on my thoughts, which I don't know about you, but my thoughts are not always in line with reality. And my experiences, they're based on belief systems um, that I grew up with or identified with at some point in my life. And one thing I've really learned is if I can change my belief systems, I can change my feelings. And then I can be and find out who I am underneath all the crap. Sorry, Dan. (laughs) All the crap. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. All the stuff I've absorbed over the years. And the second thing is to let go and just breathe. Just to like 
even before this call, I always take a moment, I close my eyes and I just, because I find that if I stop and breathe, I'm locked into the present moment. And then it helps me step forward and let go. And the fear starts to kind of quiet down. And then I usually take a second and I ask myself if I'm having a lot of internal chatter, what belongs to me and what belongs to somebody else? And that's, I don't know if everybody on this call has this problem, but that has been a lifelong struggle for me is what is mine and what is somebody else's? And then what part of myself am I avoiding by not taking that step forward? Because usually... For me personally, when I don't step forward, it's some part of me that's telling me some like imposter syndrome thing, like you're not good enough. How could you possibly think you deserve this? Who do you think you are? Like being on a podcast is totally arrogant. Do you think you're special? Blah, 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 all that stuff. And then three, reality. Is this really a threat? Is this thing that I'm afraid of that's making my voice shake or having uh, this adrenaline response? Is this really threatening to me? And then what am I protecting myself from? What's the worst thing that could happen? If I make a mistake or I do something silly, can it be repaired? And usually the answer to that is yes. Um, The what's the worst that could possibly happen to you scenario? It's a real thing. Like, if I really think about half the stuff I'm terrified of, it's not real. It's really, it's really, really just some made up scenario in my head. And I've added a lot of uh, pressure to myself. And then the fourth thing that I, this is a newer thing for me are boundaries. I'm not great at boundaries. Um, They're super necessary. And I think, For me, it's partly being raised in a way where I was more of a people pleaser um, and not being okay with saying no or hurting somebody's feelings. And I'm a highly empathetic person. So separating myself from the pain of someone else is almost impossible. But I've also learned that if I don't learn boundaries, things like burnout, resentment, I'm more limited in what I can do. And it's uh, been something that is really healthy and something I'm (laughs) probably will be working on until the end of my life. Um, And when you are willing to put in boundaries, I think it's super important to trust your gut and make sure that what you believe about yourself in situations feel right. If it doesn't feel right, ask yourself, where is this feeling coming from? I am constantly doing a lot of self-inquiry to kind of make sure I'm making decisions and choices that are right for myself. And also having a small group that you trust and admire for feedback, either on your work or just choices in general. Um, Because asking just a general person for advice, in my experience, has been disastrous. because they don't know you and maybe they don't even care about you. So if you have people that you really trust and admire, ask them for advice. And then the last part is being vulnerable 
doesn't mean sacrificing yourself to gain approval and attention because of low self-esteem. Um, this is this is another one <laughs> I'll probably be working on for the rest of my life. Um, but that's super important. It's a self-sacrifice because of lack of esteem or self-worth is a trap and is something that um, I think is why I was willing to hand over my power in the first place. So knowing who you are and being willing to trust your gut and having a good tight support system, I think is really, really important. Wait, before you go on, can I? Yes, tonight? you can. Okay. So I think boundaries are really difficult and I, uh, I also am a people pleaser, but <laughs> what are some little ways that you learned to trust mm-hmm. your gut? Cause if you've, if you've people pleased for so long, you stop being able to really see. Cause I noticed when you said I was working set six to seven days a week, 10 <laughs> to 12 hours a day. Right. So yeah. this is having a good leader or like you were just doing because you were empathetic. You knew somebody else was hurting. So you needed to do this so that they could have time with their family or they could, yeah. uh, th- that the company could keep going so that people wouldn't lose their job. It all kind of like, that may not have been what they said or what they meant, but that is how you interpreted it. So then you've been your whole life feeling this. And that is the gut because that is, you are super empathetic, but how do we start? What's a little, what's something little that you could start trusting your gut on so that people can start building that muscle. Do you know, I know that one on our sheets, you, you know, the safe word's always rooster, just rooster <laughs> and we'll just move on. No, um, I think, you know, like some small things I've been doing is like um, if a client approaches me with work and we start discussing the job, if I start feeling uncomfortable when we're talking through the process or the way the person is talking to me starts to feel uncomfortable, I will make sure I start paying attention to that. Um, And it just can be a sensation of this doesn't feel right or this doesn't feel honest. And I think a small step to take is after you're done with that conversation, give yourself some space to really think it through instead of immediately saying yes, which would be something I would do. Even if I was feeling all these things of like, "This this person's not honest, this might be a bad situation for you. And all this stuff is the alarms already going off. But my instinct would be um, to just sacrifice or, you know, be the team player. And so again, it comes back to that willingness to stop, be present, breathe, and just trust your feelings. Okay, so, so then I've, how how do you not run off the stage when your feelings are like, no, oh my gosh, I am not. See, yeah, somebody else is going to do this talk because it's, I mean, are you going through these steps? Like, okay, I'm present. Yeah. Is this really a threat? Is yeah. this a boundary I need to hold or yeah. should I just run? I do. I actually, like, I, I will just stop and literally just close my eyes for a second, pay attention to my feelings, breathe. And then think about, you know, where are these feelings coming from? Are you okay? How do you really feel? And it seems really simple, but it's something I just never did. So um, can I ask you another random question? 
Yes. Okay. So when you're buying bread, do you ever buy bread at the store? Yeah. Like loaf bread. Okay. Yeah. So I think this is like a good test for if you have uh, your gut, like to me. Okay. I don't know. I, my husband usually eats the bread. Pretty much. I always get it wrong. He's like, is this the softest bread? You, I mean, I could bow through the, the window with this one, Diane. And I'm like, <laughs> right. But it's again, against tiny little things of trust. Like, I think this is OK. Right. Yeah. Especially if it's not something you're going to ingest or something, especially yeah. when, you know, yeah. it's like, OK, well, what about because I think when we're empathetic for other people, we're trying every single thing of bread to see which one. Right. <laughs> It's like, yeah. no, you know what? I'm yeah. going to try five loaves. I'm going to pick yeah. the softest of these five and yeah. then I'm just going to go. And I know that seems like a really small little thing, but then what is it? You go back to the store the next week and get different bread, you know, like, right. hey, it's toast every day this week or something. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. It's like trusting what you're drawn to, trusting what appeals to you trusting when it doesn't feel right and practicing, you know, I mean, I've made so many mistakes, you know, I'm practicing all this stuff and sometimes people deceive me and I make a wrong choice and then I learn and you just have to keep doing it. And you keep buying bread, right? You have to keep buying the bread, but you just, it's not the end of the world. If you make a bad bread choice, but I'm literally make a bad bread choice and just see, and then you just try again. Yeah. You're like, oh, that, but, yeah, that was not good. <laughs> but it's about physically feeling it. I think I love that you're closing your eyes and you're feeling, mm-hmm. but I think often I'm not taking that step. Right. Cause I've turned that off so many times. Like, oh, you just need to go be the team player. You just push on through, you know, like. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. I'm sorry about the bread analogy. No, no, I love it. No, I do. I think for me, it helps to close my eyes because I can shut everything out and just it locks me into the present moment if my mind starts racing and I start thinking about these things I can't I mean I'm done you know so I have to bring myself back into my body and that's the easiest way for me to sort of um, ground myself into reality and the present and then make this practice I have of you know is this feel right is this the right thing to say yes to because I just never did that before. So um, yeah. it got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and that's a thing too. It's like working with yourself and your process and your belief systems so you can make better choices and have a better life. So, okay. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So, so mindset matters, like we we're talking about. So it's feelings. It's a sensation. Let go. Breathe. Reality is this a threat and boundaries are necessary. And then the second topic I want to address is introversion. And I'm my little guy on the side saying, do it anyway. Um, As an introvert being seen, which we've been talking about being open, um, talking to a lot of people, being in the spotlight is really hard for me. And it's, I used to think there was something really wrong with me for a long time. And then um, I came across this amazing book many, many years ago called Quiet by Susan Cain. And it just changed my life. Like I suddenly realized there are extroverts or introverts, and there are people who sort of in between the ambiverts. 
and it's okay. It's completely okay. And once I understood that about myself, then I could start working um, on the tendencies that I have to kind of isolate and, you know, act like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and how to uh, recharge, which was a big part of it. Cause it's sort of, when you're an introvert, it's really, really exhausting. I have a lot of social interaction and also I can't rapid fire speak and I need moments of reflection to absorb and then come back with information. So in a work situation, I had to learn how to ask my managers for what I needed to be able to be really effective in my job. So um, that might look like if we have a big meeting and someone asks me a question, I might say, can I come back to you on that? And then have a minute to write my response. And usually they were fine with that. So, or, or like for something like this to take time to prepare and get my thoughts in order. Cause I just don't, I so am jealous of people who can rapid fire speak. I'm so jealous of that, um, but I can't do it. So I can't either. No one backs. It would be like, give me a couple of days and I'll yeah. have a zinger for you. Oh, or right? like you think about it later and you'd be like, oh, that would have been perfect. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but I. I can't do that. So knowing your weaknesses or your, maybe weakness is a bad word. It's knowing the differences. Right? Differences. Just, yeah. differences. Yeah. 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 Knowing how to work with yourself and to be the most effective in whatever environment you're in. And then back into what we we're kind of talking about earlier, which is being conflict averse um, is also a stereotypical introvert issue. And um and it falls into the people pleaser thing. So one way I found to kind of work through that is to practice speaking up, take the risk of being disliked or hated, which goes against all people pleasing stuff. Um, You're not going to feel better if you avoid the conflict and it's going to fester and come out in some way anyway. So might as well just rip that bandaid off and start practicing speaking up. And I, I had to do this, this was so hard for me. I had to start really small and eventually get bigger. So I would practice speaking up more to my husband or to my friends where I was felt really safe. And now I'm at a point where I can really speak up with clients or bosses or um, people of authority who would have terrified me uh, originally. And then the second thing, like we were talking about earlier is to prepare because it makes it like things like this, for example, a lot easier and ask for time to respond. Like we were just saying, introverts tend to have trouble with rapid fire conversations Um, and just ask for what you need. It's okay to just define whatever you need to be comfortable in your life. And uh, that it was another, that's something I'm still practicing. And then three bullies don't back down. Um, aggressive, abusive behavior festers in the dark. Super important to stand up and speak your truth and find allies. If you find yourself being bullied, you are never the only one having that experience. Um, And if you're willing to stand up, you can help a lot of other people who are probably being bullied by the same person, but you don't even know it's happening. And then for the long game, (laughs) So this one, 
I had a particular coworker who made my life a living hell for a really long time. And some time passed and we hadn't communicated. And then this person contacted me out of the blue for work. And so I really like to hold to the idea that people grow and change. So even if someone treats you really poorly um, and they come back years later, I think it's important to give everybody a second chance. And most of us are going to spend our whole life in our career path. And nobody, everybody, like think about where you were 10 years ago. Nobody is going to be the same. But you have to trust your gut. Some people you just don't want to get involved with. But in general, if someone's treated you poorly, they come back a decade later and they're different, be open to it. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, and if you're holding your integrity as much as you can in every situation, you know, no matter how hard it is, my husband would always say to me, the truth always comes out. And it's, it, that has held true for my entire life. Anytime I was like, oh, my God, this is so bad. How is anybody ever going to know what's happening? When it came out, I had no control over, but it always came out. And as long as I was being honest with myself, it always worked out. Didn't mean I didn't suffer and it didn't mean it was hard, but it always worked out. Love that. And my last one, shine and be seen. The world needs heroes. And, you know, that's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Because this is really hard for me. Um, I'm much more comfortable being behind the scenes. And if I could just hide away and work and make a bazillion dollars, that would be great. But I also know it limits, uh, it limits my ability to be able to change and have effect in the world and do good things and empower other people. And that's that. Thank you very much. Okay. I love this. And I absolutely love that the world needs heroes. I love that you, I took a ton of notes. <laughs> that was terrific. Um, uh, but I love that that's been what it's like. I am going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. being out in the spotlight. Although mm -hmm. I'm effective back here under the desk doing all mm -hmm. the the work, but I so you were a dancer, right? Yeah. You dance. The, yeah. Is that was it less hard because you were part of a a team of uh, a troupe or dance? Yeah, I don't know what you call <laughs> dancers together. I I a flock. You know, I yeah. I worked with. I don't. I don't know how you the I group know. I oh, worked yeah. with a bunch of theater groups and I um it it was a weird thing where it was so much easier for me to be on a stage and and dance or perform I always thought that was weird because I'm so shy and introverted but I heard uh actor talk about this recently an introverted actor said the same thing and I think it's because it's sort of like you're in your little bubble you know, and you can really ex like express a lot to a lot of people without having to inter um, individually interact with them. And so that was really great. And I loved it. I love doing that. 
um, I know it's weird. It's a weird thing. But um, so it's like a, like if I'm on this stage by myself having to talk to people, that's terrifying because it's me. You're directly focused on me and what I'm saying. But if I'm performing and I'm with a group, it's a whole different thing. So what if it, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I'm just giving you a bunch of, like, what if this, what if, because th- this to oh. me is like, uh, okay, so you're, would you ever have acted uh, being or done a solo in a dance company, a dance company? That's, that's, that's the flock. That's yeah. the yeah. plural. And, or maybe not, but that's what I remember them being called. So in, in that group, mm-hmm. would you have taken a solo then? You know, I never got asked to do that. Would you have said yes had they said it? I don't know. Okay. So then would you, <laughs> what about if it was a, a acting part? Can you imagine acting? And because mm-hmm. then you're still doing, but it's still part of a bigger performance. So I studied uh, the Meisner technique. And I don't, if you're not familiar with the Meisner technique, there's two techniques for acting. There's Stanislavski and the Meisner. Stanislavski is like the outward in, like you're putting on the persona and it's sort of like a method acting. And um, the Meisner is opposites from the inside out. So when you're training on that, when I used to train, um, we used to do these drills where we would say lines to each other and the teacher would scream and yell at us until we were authentic in our communication. And so it's this whole other um, method of being and communicating. So when I was on the stage in a scene, I would always have a partner and I never did a solo, whatever, but it was the same thing where I was so locked into that person in what we were doing together that I didn't even notice an audience. So that was okay. I don't think I could have done it by myself. That's really cool. Okay. So um, it, it's funny because so many of the things I am an extrovert. I think, you know, I'm an extrovert, Yes. right? <laughs> but I also don't like the spotlight. I would rather. Uh, really? Yeah, I really don't. I, it, I'm really uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm too terrible all the time. Like before this, I was doing I'm, I had to write a whole bunch of stuff for something. And and then all my colleagues, so eight of my colleagues are there like and they're not being at all mean. But I said, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot type in front of y'all, you know, because we're it, you're doing on Google and they're watching you type and you can't even spell building or something, you know. <laughs> And you're like, oh, my God, why did I write this? This was terrible, you know, and it was like, I'm not not a writer, you know, like I'm nobody's expecting me to be a writer, but there's four really good writers on the the faculty. So it's just it's that. uh, But I just voiced it. I do think sometimes just voicing like, oh, my gosh, I feel super uncomfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. But I feel like um, I. I don't like to be. I feel like it's about like being humble and we're supposed to be humble and not take, but this is where, but if nobody hears your story, Heather, then -hmm. those people, just like the, the lady, the um, Lily, Lily, 
Yeah. If she had never told her story, you wouldn't have had understood that you weren't alone. And so I understand that it's, uh, and Jackie's saying many of us, uh, thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. So many of us have those same issues and it helps not feeling like we're the only one and it helps have compassion for other people. Absolutely. Um, but it's funny because I don't know if it's connected to introvert extrovert. I, I still, I would rather introduce you. I, I talk to you about this. I would, I mean, I'm not a quick witted, you know, I'll be back with that zinger in two days, you know, or like tonight driving home. I'll be like, Oh, I should have said that. So, but I think it's just, uh, maybe it's in the people pleaser mode that, that, uh, jacket that we wear. Um, but now some of it is practice and, and we've talked about this off on uh, when we've talked other times, but like at bend, you have a very bend design, which is a great mm-hmm. conference. Mm-hmm. You have a very big out in front kind of role. Yeah. And, uh, you have to recoup from that mm-hmm. and you have to, just like you would prepare, you made a deck for this today. You have to kind of like prepare your body, I would think. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you have to get enough sleep because this is not just a one day thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then how, how does, how does somebody do that? Because you seem so like chill and like, <sighs> it is like, no way this is, you, to, you seem like, and my sister is similar to this. She's very introverted, but she can go out and command a room just mm-hmm. like you can command a room. Right. And it, but she also is introverted or ambivert, whatever she's right. I think yeah. she's kind of uh, adjusted because of practice, but I do think it's that you're not just continuing to go. If the conference ends on a Sunday, it's not like you're going back to work on Monday, right? You're doing the same thing. You, there is this recoup, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, after um, the founder of Ben Design, Renee Mitchell, and I talk about this a lot, but usually a couple of weeks after a conference, I mean, there's, we start in March and we meet every two weeks all the way into the conference and the intensity builds. So after it happens, there's usually a couple of weeks of what we call the blues, where your body kind of has to <laughs> come down and there's a little bit of a depression that follows that. And then the recoup part, I mean, I feel like when I finish those conferences, like like my body's shaking like this, like it takes a, like a week. It's so intense. Like a muscle, like a muscle yeah. spasm. Like yeah, now it it's of- like recoup, it, it, right? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like I've had my finger in a light socket for like two weeks, is how it feels to me. And I also, you know, like I think the passion I have for the people that are showing up and the excitement I have to see them and uh, the gratitude for their interactions and their brilliance is driving me so much. And I'm so focused there that I have this ability to kind of say, I'm right here and then I'm putting all these feelings to the side for this week and then I'll have to pick them back up at the end and then I'll have what I call the introvert hangover. (laughs) 
that, which is really intense where I analyze everything I did. And I, there's a lot of, I walk around the house going, Oh God. And Greg, my husband is just laughing the whole time. I'm like, sorry, sorry. It's just, you know, I relive it too, though. So maybe I'm an introvert or maybe it happens to both. Maybe it's just, I don't know, but man, it's like, why did I say that on that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And the thing is, like, nobody remembers, nobody cares. But it's like all that processing has to cut all the judgment that was happening, but I was ignoring because I had to focus and I was more interested in other things Then like comes crashing back. So, yeah, yeah, it's that video that plays in your head, (sighs) like, like on slow, like (laughs) you're like watching the other person's face, like, (laughs) right. Why did she say that? It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Okay. So, so how do we prep so that we, we just know that at the, after that conference, cause Paul's kind of talking about that come down after the adrenaline needed for an introvert to make it through a conference. I think yeah. it holds some people back so that they won't even go, or they'll only go to a day or what are some things in place? Because you seem like a boss about this now <laughs> that it has no problem. So how, is this that you've worked up to this and that you've mm-hmm. gotten, you've stretched that muscle and now you, but you do know how to take care of yourself after? Yeah. I mean, the first time I did it, I did, I had no, I had no clue what I was getting into. Um, and I think, you know, the ignorance of the situation sometimes really works to my advantage because had I known, then I probably would have not done it. Um so now what I do is I, I kind of know the how I'm going to feel, right? So I make sure I book time for myself. Um, and I make sure, for me personally, I'm exercising a lot. Like I physically, that adrenaline is in your body and it needs a release. And if it doesn't have a release, then it's going to go into your mind and do all kinds of terrible things, <laughs> or at least in my case. Um, and it it will amplify, you know, like I won't sleep and my mind won't shut off. And so uh, for me personally, like if I go out and I can just run, you know, or brisk walking or something, if I'm really stressed out, it needs to be a run (laughs) and eating really well. And then right up to the conference, managing my sleep, I need to be really well rested, um, especially during the conference, because there's usually a couple of days where I'm not sleeping because the work is load is too intense. So I kind of have to pace myself. And Diane does this great thing where when she's in those situations, she introduces herself to people and, and is sort of like uh, scaffolding. And she sees, you know, people freaking out and introduces herself and engages them. And I find taking, doing that, taking the focus off me, and putting the focus on other people. So it's not about me personally really helps because if I'm too self-focused, I, that's really bad. Yeah. Really, that's, really bad. That's why I like to volunteer because then you're, you have a job. I remember I was like, Hey, can I help? And I think yeah. y'all were like, oh, what? Yeah. And Cause you were a speaker. I know. And, um, but anyway, but I think that's the best. Like you should be a server. That's an even bigger server, right? Like, yeah. So they wouldn't let me like do any like real stuff. <laughs> so I was like, well, can I open the door for people? And they're like, yeah, sure. You can welcome people. 
I think they thought maybe I didn't know what I was doing, but I, 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 I I could do it. Right. So anyway, so I was like, I was just, and then I saw people who were alone and they weren't on there. You know, they want, you can tell people want to talk to somebody else. They don't want to be like, I just have to look at my phone. Yo, the phone trick. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but then if you just go up and you talk and then you meet somebody else and then you just can smash them together and start talking. I mean, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So many people go to conferences alone and I never want anybody to feel alone. And you as a conference put her on her. You don't want people to feel alone. You no. want people to feel like connect. So it's like having these little people who it's, it's not about me. Yeah. You know, it's about, Hey, let me see. Oh, what do you, you know? And then you go. And so it's like, if you can channel that for me, yeah. I think that that's been helpful. Cause then, you know, I yeah. just, I, I'm, I'm a tool, not in a yeah. bad way. Right. It, right. Yeah. Volunteering, volunteer for stuff, get involved. Like even if I go to a dinner party with somebody new and I'm uncomfortable, of course, cause that's just, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I will immediately say, what can I help you with? Can I help you cook something? What can I do in the kitchen? Like I will just plug myself into an activity because it helps me have something to connect to, to the other person And it gives me a way to start a conversation because that's the really hard thing is starting a conversation, that initial um, approach. Sometimes it doesn't work, but some people kind of blow me off, whatever. But in general, it works. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I like the volunteering because it gives people a purpose, makes Mm -hmm. them feel like they have a reason. If, If people are like, hey, can I help? You can be like, oh, well, could you? can I show you where the bathroom is so that you can direct people where the bathroom oh. is or, you know, like those hidden yeah. places that people need or where the coffee is or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and for conferences, there are a bazillion things that everybody needs help with all the time. So that's a great, it's a great tip. Yeah. Well, Heather, we didn't get through barely anything. We got through <laughs> questions one and two, but I think we covered things. I'm just going to have to reread my questions, but I want to make sure everybody knows. I know we're over, so I appreciate you guys. Like, I'm sorry. You know, we always go over. I'm really sorry about that, but I want to make sure that everybody can follow and connect with Heather. And you can always do that through um, uh, on the website, but she did have a couple other people that I wanted to make sure that um, uh I guess D Lillian, is that the same? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then um, survival. Oh yeah. You you just gave me all those things. I wasn't a very good uh, Vanna, but all of them are right (laughs) there now. And they also, if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening, they are all below. So right at the top of all the stuff is all of Heather's stuff. And then there's a link to the place where all the show notes are as well. So can you tell me why? C-R-A-H instead of like, and then Monty, can you tell me that? Okay. So my last name is Crank and then my husband's last name is Monty. So I smushed them together (laughs) and then I put a, I did a little ah in the middle. It's totally made up. Oh, so I did Smibs, but that's not my, I mean, we do have Smibs.com people. That is like the shortest URL. That's the name of our animals' last names. They're all because oh, so John. John is John Smith. People are I like, love "Yeah, it. right." No, that really is his last name. Really? And for real? My husband's no. last name is yeah, John Smith. Mm. Wow. And but then uh, uh, and then Gibbs. So 
Smith plus Gibbs is Smibs. So I I love that you you have the similar thing. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, I um, I'm because of of who I am. I didn't take my husband's last name and he he didn't expect me to. (laughs) Even though I said he could become a crank, but he said over my dead body, because who wants a last name crank? Um, Sounds pretty cool to me. His last name is so beautiful, you know, but um, anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't take my husband's last name either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people <laughs> write to me and they'll be like, Diane Smith. And I'm like, who's this? Of course, John gets it like John Gibbs. And he's like, uh, they called me your dad's name again. <laughs> and he doesn't like that so much. I, but I did. I said, hey, look, I'm happy to change my last name. You change your middle name. I'll You change your middle name to Gibbs. I'll change my last name to Smith. And he said, no. I said, okay. We yeah. got a deal. I'll be Diane Gibbs forever and you be John Smith forever. Exactly. I gave the option for hyphenation. And he was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You know, like I'll, every two, to each his own. My parents raised really independent girls. So, yeah, me too. I'm sure my dad would have been like, uh, you could have taken his name, but I'm sure my mom's back there like, Go get them, Diane. You know, I don't know. Maybe I don't. She's here, so uh, she's probably. I like, I'm not going to answer. Um, but anyway, he- I'm going to hit stop. But Heather, thank you so much. You are so part welcome. two. I mean, like I got so many notes, but oh. like none of these are marked off. So, but that's okay because we had. I think we had a great conversation. But I want to read some of the ways people can get in touch with okay. you. So uh, so that if somebody is just driving or something, so it's oh, yeah, C-R-A-H-M-A-N-T-I.com yep. on yep. Instagram. It's the exact same thing. C-R-A-H-M-A-N-T-I. And then on Twitter, C-R-A-N-K-H for crank Heather, but not a Heather. Um, passion project mixed media no mixed meta for m-e-t-a-f-o-u-r.com yeah i'll be like ah later why can't you read out loud anyway on bin design which you guys should go uh it's uh scale house scale like the thing you step on to get your weight Mm dot org slash bend b-e-n-d and then another d for design I, I always mess these up. Anyway, the other, the other people mentioned uh, is that motion, uh, uh, motion. Motion Yeah. And then that survival tips for women in motion. That was the one that, uh, the thing, I guess that, um, you heard that really changed or that. Yeah. 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 I also want to say really quick before you go, there was a really great, um, Ted talk. I just, happened across the other day about imposter syndrome uh by lou solomon and i put the link in the chat there it's one of the best talks i've ever heard on imposter syndrome okay well i will put it in the um comments or not in the comments i'll put it in the show notes so that people can um get it there as well so yeah i love being able to do that so i'm glad heather thank you so much we will be doing something else. It'll be a surprise, but um, it's so Heather and hopefully it'll, it's, you guys are going to love it. It'll be during love on designers. Um, and just thank you guys for 
tuning in. Heather, thank you so much for not just being under the desk and out and for being able to be in in the spotlight because you do have a really important story. And it's just good to hear somebody else to see somebody else who has gone through it and made it through or is continuing to make it through. It's very inspiring. We just got to keep trying, but we do need I, one thing you said, it was gave me a very visual. We need that tight support so that we, again, that's that trusted group that is supporting us and helping us move forward because we know there's somebody that's listening to this that needed to hear your story, just like you needed to hear Lillian's story. Yeah. We're all really important. Yes. Absolutely. Really, really important. All right. I'm going to hit stop. Oh, next week. It's just me. I'm going to, we're going to do an exercise. I hope if you show up, so um, show up next week with me alone. Uh, no guest. It will just be me, but maybe you guys will show up anyway. All right. I will talk. It was nice to see every, some new people. So I really appreciate it. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>